0: Welcome to Click, Treat, Repeat. This is a horse-focused podcast discussing positive reinforcement training, equine management and welfare, and other horse-related topics. So let's get started. All right, so today we have Kara here from Musgrave Equestrian, and she's going to be talking a little bit about Intrinsin because we recently released that series and we heard from kind of a good number of intrinsic people that there were some more topics that they wanted covered and kind of to have a further conversation about it. So we're happy to kind of continue that conversation because we don't want to misrepresent or, you know, overlook any important information about any topics. So yeah, Kara, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and just kind of um, your experience with intrinsic maybe?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I just want to start off by saying that this is my experience with intrinsic so I don't want to um, you know put words in anyone's mouth or anything like that, Um, but I am very involved in the Community and um, i'm actually right now part of a an intrinsic certification course that's happening it's kind of its first round so um, that's something that um is kind of has been in the works for a while and that's something that i'm participating in so um there will be an actual certification um coming out uh for uh context designers so that is referring to the human and a human who who uses Intrinsic and um, designs contexts for their horses to help them move better and so Though intrinsic utilizes positive reinforcement, it's not actually like a training method like you would think of like Pirelli or natural horsemanship or even positive reinforcement as like a specific method of training a horse start to finish. It's more of a like a mindset referring to movement. So when I think of intrinsic, it's about um, it's about movement and not behavior necessarily and. Um, it's the mindset through which I filter how I work with my horses specific to movement. And the way that I kind of like found my way into interns in is that I had a horse, um, his name was Ben and he was absolutely my heart horse. And he developed a really severe neurological issue and we're pretty sure he had EPM, um, We did all the testing and all, all of that stuff. Um, but I wasn't able to do the actual spinal cord testing until, um, later on after he'd been treated. So at that point he was negative for the protozoa, but the way that disease process works is as the protozoa die off, they, um, they cause, um, the myelin in the, which is like the protective coating around your nerve endings to, um, uh, deteriorate. And so that's why not every EPM horse is going to look the same. Um, it just kind of depends on what, which nerves and which, um, which areas of the body are affected. So he was really severe and he got to the point where I was going to have to make a decision of whether or not to put him down because he was in, you know, he, he was having trouble standing. He was kind of constantly drifting sideways, which is just, um, you know, it's really hard to see. So my husband is actually a physical therapist and he'd worked on the uh, neuro and stroke unit for a long time, which deals with neurological issues and neurological disease. And I started trying to utilize some of the techniques that he would use with people and use them for my horse. And they were kind of working but also the piece that was missing was that in order for a horse to regain um, and regrow neural pathways um, they need to choose the movement you can't force them into it and so the traditional pressure release was just adding more stress which wasn't helping him heal it was just causing more stress so when I stumbled upon um, Kathy's account who um, at the time was in transin, and now is at Panther Flows. Um, she was kind of doing all the things that I was doing in a different way, but was harnessing the power of positive reinforcement to create the autonomy, which is the big piece that makes intrinsic what it is, is having allowing the horse to have choice and autonomy in that movement. Um, and so once I started adding that piece in, I saw. Incredible changes um, in the way that he interacted, the way that he moved. He went from, you know, being afraid to move to backing up to stepping over poles. Um, he would chase the bag and even kind of stomp and hop at the bag, which for me was just like it brought tears to my eyes because he was in such a dark, dark place. Um, and he did ultimately pass away because of his neurological issues. Um, But the change that I saw when I started utilizing all of these techniques and concepts was enough to kind of light a fire under me and make me pursue all of that even more. Um, As someone who's, you know, anytime you're in the horse industry, you're going to have a lot of horses that have injuries and issues. And if there's a way to prevent them at all, um, most of us are going to try to pursue that. And so. Um, I saw this way of working with the horse as making them really strong and agile and kind of impervious to a world full of danger. I saw that as being a really powerful tool that we can use to help our horses be strong and adaptable in a kind of a scary and unsafe world.
0: Yeah, that's a really cool experience. And it sounds like it was it just kind of came to you like the knowledge about intrinsic at a time when you kind of really needed it for your horse so that's really awesome that it worked out so well for you and I think I can relate a little bit even though I've never practiced intrinsic um, or you know use that mindset really I do um, have experience with horses with certain medical issues where the vet would recommend you know this horse maybe should be on stall rest I mean obviously there are certain injuries and conditions where the horse really does need to be on stall rest, but I've found a lot of the time that being able to let the horse be out and have that type of movement actually has, in my experience, had a really beneficial impact on, you know, them healing. Like my horse Coco, when she had laminitis, um, having her, you know, be able to actually be out moving around and, you know, if she was feeling well enough, not forcing her, but just letting her kind of have her space and be free and be able to do that. And I think, You know, there's some science that's coming out um, in the medical world as well, kind of showing that having movement for conditions like that can be really beneficial. So I definitely, you know, can see from that angle for sure how that movement would be really beneficial and being able to achieve it in a force-free way, definitely a really positive thing.
1: Yeah. And I've seen some of those studies coming out too, and just being in um, the, the human physical therapy realm a little bit because of my husband and what he does. Um, you know, all of that stuff is coming out a lot faster with humans, obviously than horses, because, um, there's a lot more research and money towards, you know, humans and movement. Um, and, you know, there are some differences, but for the most part, mammals are more or less very similar when it comes to like muscles or muscles, joints or joints, Um, and it's really encouraging to see a lot of that work, um, come out. And, you know, I think really that again, the, the piece that I was missing initially was the autonomy and that's what makes it so helpful because if you teach your horse kind of the rules of the game, um, with positive reinforcement, and they always have the option to not engage, you can it can kind of help you suss out, you know, is this a, I don't want to, or I can't, or, you know, it hurts. You don't have to play that guessing game of, well, my horse needs to get exercise to strengthen their muscle. They just tore or, you know, that I'm rehabbing, but I can't tell, am I doing too much, too little? And so bringing in those um, that autonomy of using positive reinforcement to kind of teach them like, here's a target, you get rewarded for following the target. And then, you know, but can you do it over this pole? And if they say no, and have another option to like, go eat grass, which is what mine usually do. Um, it gives you it helps you kind of interpret, you know, is this a thing where you don't understand? or is it painful and giving them the option to say no always allows them to opt out. So you don't have to, you don't have to sit there and second guess yourself. Like, is this too much hand walking for my horse's rehab or what, you know, whatever it is. Um, and it doesn't always have to be utilized in a rehab scenario. Um, you know, obviously I think all of us are really invested in, especially anyone listening to this podcast, listening to our horse and understanding you know, yesterday I was able to do all of these amazing things and today I'm not feeling it. And that's, that's okay. And allowing that, that choice and that autonomy to own the movement is, is so incredibly important. I think a lot of times when we see injuries happen and things like that, it's because they don't have autonomy over their body, either because of, you know, certain pieces of attack or the way that they're ridden or, you know, drilling certain movements over and over again, um, or they don't have choice and autonomy of whether or not they're actually doing whatever it is.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And I think, you know, in the positive reinforcement world, even people who don't really practice, you know, intrinsic mindset with their positive reinforcement, I think that's, you know, definitely a very wide belief that pretty much all of us can agree on. So that's, you know, it's cool to find kind of different points that, even people who do things a little differently will agree on. Um, And I guess one question that I have, I mean, you don't have to like, you know, get into a whole like, is negative reinforcement bad thing? But do you think negative reinforcement could be compatible with intrinsic, Or do you think that really the intrinsic mindset would require using like mostly positive reinforcement?
1: Um, Yeah, Uh, negative reinforcement isn't really taught or... I mean, I'm sure there are accounts that have posted the intrinsic hashtag where it looks like negative reinforcement, but that's not really the way that I have seen it used by the people that, um, created it and the people that I follow, um, because the whole point is that it must be an owned movement. And if there's not autonomy, it's, you can't own that movement. Um, and it it kind of goes back to that idea of like, if you are, you know, let's say someone's like making you run up and down a bunch of stairs, and like you hate running and hate stairs, um, you're going to feel awful, you're going to probably like, if you have a knee that likes to act up like you're going to feel that and it's going to feel miserable, but let's say you're playing, you know, you're on a scavenger hunt with your friends and you're playing this like super fun, like game or something with your friends and you're running around and you end up having to like run up a bunch of stairs to like get somewhere quickly. You're not going to feel the same way that you feel if someone's making you do it. And a lot of that comes down to like brain chemistry, which is another big reason behind a lot of the philosophies because, you know, when you're doing something fun, playing a sport you love, you're not going to feel that, um, you're not going to feel it as much if someone like, you know, kicks you in the shins when you're playing soccer versus like, if, you know, someone just like kicks you in the shins to be mean, um, because of those like neurochemicals in your brain, all the like dopamine and all that good stuff. And so, I'm not sure. I feel like I've gotten really off topic <laughs> based on your question that you asked me um, about negative reinforcement. But yeah, I think if you're seeing negative reinforcement used, it's probably not intrinsic. It's probably not someone that understands the full like breadth and depth of the, the idea um, behind it um, because coercion is not It's not a way that we get a horse to own a movement. Um, And the whole idea behind intrinsic, and I've heard you guys talk a little bit about it, is like getting to that intrinsic motivation where it's I'm doing this because it's fun and it feels good um, and I'm in a flow state versus because I have to, or even because I'm motivated to with food, I positive reinforcement i feel like it's kind of we use that to kind of teach the horse the rules of the game but just like if you are learning a new sport um and if you enjoy sports (laughs) which not everyone does but if you did let's say you're learning um a new sport like soccer and you have a coach and they're like teaching the rules of the game and you know, I think of that as like the, that's the positive reinforcement piece and in intrinsic we're teaching the horse, the rules of the game of like, what helps you win. And then, you know, if you really enjoy playing the sport, um, you're not going to have to have a coach encouraging you like run fast after the ball or, you know, kick harder or whatever it is. Um, you're going to be doing that out of your own enjoyment of it because you enjoy the sport. And so we're kind of trying to get our horses to that place where, you know, I've taught you the rules and now you've realized like, oh, I'm actually really good at this and it's really fun. And um I'm gonna try hard at this because it's I feel like I'm I'm good at it or I feel like I'm a badass um, when I do these things. And so that's kind of the idea behind it. Now there's no real way to know whether or not our horses are actually feeling that intrinsic motivation, but, you know, and I, I understand that there is a little bit of anthropomorphism that goes in with that, but I think we often see animals in the wild, even doing things that are not utilizing energy in ways that are not necessarily productive to reproduction or gaining food, like, you know, dolphins, playing in waves or like swimming alongside boats or and things like that. Um, you know, you see animals at play in the wild fairly often. Um, and, you know, I think that's kind of the whole idea is to um give the horse the ability to feel like they can own their movement and be owners and masters of their own movement in the world. When, you know, we always joke about like bubble wrapping our horse and how horses will get injured. If there's like a rock in the field, or, you know, I'm in Lexington, Kentucky, and here we, we fence in the trees. Um, so that horses don't get hurt on the trees, which, um, is a totally like natural thing for a horse to encounter in the wild. Um, and they'll even fence in little, like boggy areas and, and any abnormality in the field because horses can get injured on anything. And I think a lot of that is because we've taken away their, um, ability to adapt out in the wild because they're not walking over terrain. They're not, you know, hunting for food. I say hunting for food. I mean, walking to go find more grass, not actually hunting Um, and things like that. So I think the well, and, and one of the reasons that Kathy kind of developed and trends in, in, the way that it is, is because she saw her Icelandic courses go from being incredibly agile and adaptable where they're, um, in Iceland, they're a lot of times out loose for, um, many months out of the year and then bringing them into a more like normal, stabled area. They lost a lot of that. And so. A lot of the activities that you see or the, you know, the scenarios that are set up for horses are kind of designed to kind of bring back the wild to the horse um, to build that adaptation back in when it's lost when they're in perfectly manicured fields and stalls and and things like that.
0: Yeah, that all makes a lot of sense. Wow, you covered a lot of things there. <laughs> so very helpful. I think it it definitely helps us get a good understanding to be able to kind of hear from you about it and I think you did kind of touch on one of the things that is a little bit concerning to Chloe and me and you know you know other people possibly as well about intrinsic, in which is the kind of not necessarily being able to know like what the horse is feeling and I understand that you know you can help set that up to be as, you know, force-free and as being able to provide autonomy to the horse as possible by giving them like alternative food sources and working in a large area where they can have the ability to say no. And it's very clear that, you know, autonomy is a very big factor of intrinsic. But then at the same time, I do kind of hear a lot of people discussing like, you know, the horse will kind of keep on moving through the reinforcer type of thing, like rather than, you know, stopping when clicked, they'll just keep on going and, not really get their food and that definitely could be a sign that the horse is really kind of in that flow state like you're mentioning and they're really enjoying it and I'm not you know trying to definitively say that it's not because it definitely could be but then on the other hand when my horses when I've seen my horses do that it tends to be when they're you know a, a bit over threshold and they're kind of Um, You know, something's going on in the environment that is bothering them or making them nervous, and they're a little bit kind of just over threshold, yeah, and not really focused on what they're doing so much as just kind of being in that kind of elevated state. Um, And so, you know, I think that's just a little bit of a concern that we do have with it is that we just don't really know for sure whether it is excitement or it could be, you know, a negative type of stress. And I think, you know, like you said, having those ways for the horse to say no is really important in that kind of element to be able to allow the horse to say no but I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts on that because I know that is kind of like a common kind of criticism we're not the first people to ever bring this up I'm sure you've heard it before so
1: yeah um yeah I definitely have some thoughts on that I think you know you mentioned like the environment um I think understanding the environment where your horse is and you know seeing them you know if you click and they just do not stop to get the treat um I think anyone that is being observant um you know we're not going to know for sure but if like where I work with my horses, there's a huge busy road. And if I'm working with one of them and I click and they gallop off, um, as a dump truck is coming by, like, that's a really good clue to me that like, Oh, they got startled by that dump truck. They're not cantering off because they're feeling intrinsically motivated to gleefully canter to the other end of the field. Um, but I think For me, it's are they continuing to do the thing that I've presented them um, versus are they just moving away? Um, And, you know, I think the other part of it is a lot of focus of um, positive reinforcement specific to behavior is that staying under threshold is, is very valued, which I agree with. And it's, it's a great thing for learning when it comes to cognitive learning. Um, and I think for horses who are, who've had, you know, some trauma in their past, especially with like, well, with anything, you know, I think that that is probably going to be your number one, um, priority. But I also, you know, for me, movement and building robust um, and agile bodies is a little bit more of a priority for me than keeping stress at a low baseline. Um, and I'm going to operate differently depending on what horse I'm working with. So my horse Finnick, I got from a year, I've had him as a yearling. Um, and he, as far as I know, has experienced very little trauma in his life. Um, and so for him, you know, I'm not worried if he gets a little overexcited or a little, you know, what a lot of people would see as over threshold. Um, as long as I'm staying safe, as long as he's staying safe and, that's not my goal necessarily but if if it happens it's not for me my main goal is helping him be adaptable in his body um and i think with a lot of that it builds a lot of confidence um cognitively as well now my other horse wells i'm a lot different in the way that i work with him um, because I don't really know his background. And he definitely has experienced. Um, I mean, who knows? He came off the track um as a failed pony horse. And um so I work with him a lot differently. I'm a lot more aware of his facial expressions, his respiration when I'm working with him um, than I am with a horse like Finnick. Um and you know, I think it really, it it kind of depends on what your, your main focus is. And I understand that probably a lot of people listening to this podcast don't agree with, um, with me on that, as far as, you know, as far as not being afraid of stress when it comes to movement, but I also have the caveat that if, if there is stress, I'm not okay with it. If there's not autonomy. So it kind of all comes back to that. Like, I'm going to ask you, like, can you do a little more? Like, um, and if the answer is no, the answer is no, but if you're like, okay, I got this, I'm going to do it. I'm going to try really hard. This is going to be hard, but it's going to be awesome. Then you'll often get things from your horse that you never would have expected before. and. In order for anything to grow or to expand, whether it's a muscle or a brain cell or a neural pathway, um, there, there has to be some type of pressure or stress to cause to be a catalyst for it to grow and strengthen and take that with a grain of salt, because I'm not saying like, just go like, you know, chase your horse and make them move no matter what, obviously, like, that's not what I'm saying, but. I think for me, my, my comfort level and the way that I read into and look at signs that a lot of us have been conditioned to understand as like, maybe like stress face or different things like that. Like I look at human athletes and when they're doing the thing they love the most in the world, are they showing signs of calm and relax in their face, um, which are the same types of things we use to interpret whether or not a horse is feeling calm and relaxed. Um, and you know, I would say no, like the faces I make when I'm riding are awful. I look like I'm miserable and, you know, often my jaws clenched, um, my lips are puckered. Um, I'll even have kind of like squinty eyes sometimes because I'm concentrating really hard but I'm doing what I love um and I'm not being forced to do it so I think the work that has been done in like noticing calming signals and noticing pain face and and all of those things I think it's incredible and I think it's so important for the horse world and I think so many of those things have been ignored for far too long but I have a lot more comfort not worrying about those as much if if only if the horse can say no and only if um i'm doing something that has been trained with positive reinforcement where every step of the way the horse has had the option to either just stand there and eat grass or walk away or both i i often work with my horse um he's out on 30 acres both my horses are with a big herd and they kind of come up through a little narrow like alleyway type area and it kind of looks like a dry lot at this point um, in the summer but i will work with them in that area with the gate open and the moment that they're done they'll often just wander off and then we're done and i know he doesn't want to do anymore Um, and that's totally fine And, you know, that's one way that I assure that autonomy is happening. Um, And there's lots of different ways. Obviously you can be in an area where they can go off and eat grass or, you know, you present a thing for them to chase or stomp on or touch or whatever it is. And they don't, and you just sit there and wait and then they don't, and you decide, oh, they don't want to do this right now. And then you walk away or, you know give them a handful of grass and turn them out or whatever it is. Yeah. I think a lot of it is just figuring out how to use those, um, those signals and those things that might make us a little uncomfortable um, and really understanding the context of the situation. Because I, again, like I think way more people would benefit from Really understanding those signs that our horse can show us that mean like pain and stress. I think you know the pendulum swinging in that direction more is is going to be better. And I think all of that work is incredible and wonderful. And I do pay attention to those things, um, but it's going to be more when I'm doing something like trailer loading or um, working on cooperative care or things that are not based in movement where the horse has the option to say no. So hopefully that makes sense.
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode of click, treat, repeat. Feel free to check us out on Instagram at click, treat, repeat pod. You can find Jen at genuine equine and myself at bonafide.bt. We upload new episodes every Monday and hope to see you then. Happy
1: training.